0: third interview today man oh okay yeah yeah after (laughs) you after you i get to i get to chill out a little bit all right all right you ready to start here we are all right ready Uh, when you are my friend
1: so welcome ladies and gentlemen to point counterpoint i'm your host chris wright and today i've brought on a special guest who is running for president with is it the civil libertarian party
0: actually not a party i'm running uh uh, I identify. I self-identify as a civil libertarian. A libertarian, uh, standing alone, you'd actually be re- be better off to run as a pedophile. Uh, liber- <laughs> libertarian is not a it's not a good word. Um, okay. I used to be involved with the Libertarian Party years ago, and people hear that word and they, they immediately think of like Larry Libertarian, holed up in a log cabin in in uh, Idaho with the uh, DEA agents surrounding him, you know, in a low crouch with the uh, machine mm-hmm. guns. And yeah. I don't want to be that guy.
1: Yeah, they kind of think of a Ron Swanson type character.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, know
1: who that is? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is Mark Whitney here, and as I said, he's running in 2020. And uh, so I, I want to start with just kind of a fun little thing. Has anybody ever compared you to Mark Watney from the book The Martian? No, I, never. I don't know.
0: I don't know. So I just kind people of just... have compared me to Donald Trump. They've compared <laughs> me to uh, when I'm in Denver. Uh, in the winter, they sometimes think I'm John Elway, uh, <laughs> but but never the guy you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of, your name kind of sounds like the, the name Mark Watney from if you're aware of uh, The Martian by Andy Weir.
0: <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. I'm, yeah, uh... got, I have my nose too much buried in the political machinery, unfortunately.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a, yeah. a book about a guy that, about a astronaut that goes to live on Mars, and he's stranded there.
0: <laughs> That's what Jeff Bezos is trying to do. We give him all of our money, mm-hmm. and he's usually had to get the hell out of here. What's going mm-hmm. on? What is with that? What does he know that we don't, right? <laughs> what does right. he know that we don't? That's what <laughs> I want to know. I'm yeah. As president, I may send Jeff Bezos to Mars, and we'll see how all his money actually works out there. Just one mm-hmm. way, though. Just one way.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, th- is, is this your first involvement in politics, or have you been involved before?
0: in previous? Uh, No, I was elected president uh, in uh, 1977 of the Student Council of Otter Valley Union High School. I (laughs) won in a landslide. Uh, Then I uh, ran for uh, Vermont State Senate in 1996 in a seven-way race for four seats. The uh, local uh, uh, editorial board of the local paper said that while they would not vote for me, they would travel to see me perform. So I felt that was sort of a moral victory. And, okay. uh, and I've been involved uh, uh, in politics. Was, I was involved actually in the uh, Libertarian Party uh, many years ago when I thought, uh, uh, I, I've always liked the idea of a third party but then mm-hmm. I realized that we don't really need a third party. We just need a third candidate. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the party, you know, whenever you get more than two people in a room, things get really complicated. Mm-hmm. So so I thought this year, uh, when I decided I was going to run for president this year, I had to pick a lane and I mm-hmm. looked at the 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 infrastructure the Democrat or Republican national committees have in place. And it's just soul sucking what they do to these people. And so I'm not actually running against those candidates. I'm running mm-hmm. against the. Uh, I'm running to create an alternative to the system these parties have created, where they 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 actually muzzle their candidates. They don't give them a chance to talk. They always have a clock on them, and 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 they sort of make them be very robotic. And it's very demeaning to the candidates. It's mm-hmm. demeaning to the citizenry. And so what what I tried to do was find a way where I could be certified in all 50 states which I mm-hmm. will be mm-hmm. and people can vote for me on election day and mm-hmm. and so I'm taking a year to win the nation whereas the eventual democratic nominee once that nominee is chosen at the convention next summer that nominee is going to have about 10 weeks to win the nation Trump's mm-hmm. been Trump has been campaigning since the day he was inaugurated he never yep. uh, I mean that's not a metaphor his his campaign reelection committee was literally formed the day after he was re-inaugurated mm-hmm. and he's been campaigning ever since so the chances of of the democrat being able to beat that machine is is under those circumstances is is very difficult
1: mm-hmm. yeah, he basically uh, runs his presidency as a campaign essentially mm-hmm.
0: yeah exactly you cannot you cannot find the light between Trump the candidate and Trump the the president there, there is no light <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I think it's really great to try to uh, have someone that's just like a third candidate here because, of course, most most people are right in the middle, maybe sl- leaning off a little bit to the left or right, and then they're right. basically forced to choose between something that's more to that's farther to the left or farther to the right than what they really are.
0: Yeah, they always have to the Democrats right now. Uh, in order to, uh, you know, they're they're trying to win in Iowa, right? Iowa is a state that has six electoral votes and they're going to go to to Trump but mm-hmm. they're trying to the democrats are trying to win in Iowa so in order to get you know the, the 20 people in Iowa who are going to come out and vote in a primary they have to have a raffle and well you're going to get everything is free now and uh, uh, and that's kind of they're having kind of a bake sale to get to to win Iowa and then they'll do the same thing in New Hampshire and then once there's a nominee all that will go out the window and suddenly, that person will be the most reasonable, down the middle of the road, milquetoast person you've ever seen. So they have to kind of be really fringe and borderline to to make progress in the primaries, and that's kind of where we're at right now.
1: Okay, I think you
0: You still there? I didn't catch the last few. I didn't catch the last few words you said. Uh, okay, can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I was just comparing and contrasting how the Democratic nominee uh, candidates have to behave in order to uh, win in the primaries. They they have to they have to say crazy things. They have to like have this this bake sale, this raffle that they're having, and uh, where everything is free. And um, and that's how they that's how they attract candidates. Um, one of their uh, candidates, Tom Steyer, is a billionaire, and in order to get to a point where he was polling at two percent. He spent $100,000 mm-hmm. $100, a day on Facebook for a month. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. So is it's a so so the real difference between what I offer and what the 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 people produced by the privately owned Democratic and National uh, and, and Republican parties is it's really the difference between you know institutional authority and individual autonomy. Presidents mm-hmm. obviously preside over institutions. They have to make sure the the institutions they preside over are, are run well. The institutions are really important, but the institutions exist in the first place so that each of us as individual citizens, you mm-hmm. know, can have liberty and justice for all. So it's really the job of the president to, to guarantee our individual rights. So so one mm-hmm. of one of the pitches that I have. For uh, uh, young people, I'm 60. I just turned 60. My sons are mm-hmm. 32 and 35. But I'm I'm aware, and I think it's a good point. Uh, in fact, my favorite comedian George Carlin used to make the point that the founders were a bunch of slave owners who wanted to be free, yeah. and that, that that is factually accurate. Um, but what's happened is one of the narratives that's out there is that is that our Constitution has been really marginalized because that is who some of the founders were. But the Lincoln version of the Constitution, which came along in 1865 with the Civil War amendments, the 14th Amendment defines who is a citizen. In other words, the 14th Amendment says who is in the club. So for all the credit that our founders get, uh, they forgot in the original Constitution to define who is in the club. And it's kind of hyperbole to say that they forgot because, okay. There we go. Huh. This should be good. I'm coming through now?
1: All right. Yep. So where were we?
0: Good. We were, okay, uh... here we are. There we are. And scene. <laughs> I've performed up in uh, your part of the world. You up in uh, uh, Minneapolis, up in the Twin Cities? Yep, I am. Yeah, I used to uh, go up and do the uh, the uh, Minnesota Theater Festival up there. I used to bring my one-man show up there. Mm-hmm. It's great, man. You guys have some good storytellers up there, some good comedians. Yep. and. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the best. There are more. I don't know if you you know this, but there are more theater tickets sold per mm-hmm. capita in Minneapolis than any other city in the country. New York City is second. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it's Minnesota is uh, pretty artsy.
0: It's yeah, very. It's a lot, a lot really really nice up there. Um, it, 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 the weather sucks though but it, it's mm-hmm. it's like so yeah. hot in the summer and then brutal in the mm-hmm. winter but but <laughs> the people and the the theater community and storytelling community up there is as good as any place you'll find in the country
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah okay
1: all right so where were we here um how about okay i wanted to get to uh you started off in comedy so i was just wondering like are there any connections that you can make that that makes or how that makes you uh, very
0: suited for your political career. You know what? That that's actually a great question. Uh, when I look at the uh, uh, four years ago, I created a, a really successful podcast that I still produce and host, called Late Night Last Week, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and it was in it was in partial response to uh, Trump coming along, because I I knew early on that he was going to become the next president, and mm-hmm. and there were a couple of other uh, Michael Moore is somebody else who predicted that and uh, uh, and there are a couple of others. And and the people who looked at Donald Trump and saw the next president are people like myself who uh, get up on stage and they stand there by themselves with no notes and no net, and they know who they are on their feet and they can speak with confidence. And mm-hmm. so when I look at, at the presidential competition, uh, what I see first and foremost is a public speaking contest. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's just that. But mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, if you're not a great public speaker, and you yep. don't have a good sense of who you are on stage, mm-hmm. you're going nowhere in that contest. Because I think in in this day of of uh, uh, Twitter and social media, the, pre- the spotlight on the president is so mm-hmm. bright that what you're really picking you're not picking a president. You're actually <laughs> picking a roommate. <laughs> that's actually what you're doing. That's kind of yep. what's going on inside. and And people are people are are unwittingly just, you know, from a very visceral level, asking themselves, "You know, do I want this asshole to be my roommate for the next four years?" Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's really what's going on. and uh, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons Trump won before. You know, Trump, Trump is uh, well. In my lifetime, there have been two Democrats who mm-hmm. have who have won re-election, and that's uh, so. I I go. I was born shortly after Kennedy. Well, right around the time Kennedy was elected, but he didn't make it to the second time around. But yep. um, uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, and mm-hmm. what they have in common is is that they are great public speakers, yeah. and. And when people watch Bill Clinton and Barack Obama speak, they can tell that public speaking is their favorite part of the job. It's mm-hmm. not something that they that they dread, it's something they look forward to. And if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for the opportunity to do public speaking, which they are very good at and they both enjoy, they probably never would have run for president in the first place. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump, is probably the best public speaker to ever run for president. And Hillary Clinton is one of the worst. She's down there with Walter Mondale, Michael Dukakis, uh, John Kerry. She's just very wooden, very pedantic. She's not comfortable in her own skin when she's on her feet in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. And and she ends up being very scripted. and, And it's very hard for people to bond emotionally with that. So you end up with Donald Trump, who... Uh, uh, gets up there and always, always gives you a show. You may not like mm-hmm. the show, but yep. he, always, he always brings the show. With lots of energy mm-hmm. and, and for, for many people, a lot of humor. You know. Yep.
1: yep. Yeah, and it, this kind of reminds me of the Kennedy-Nixon debates, the first televised presidential debates where people mm-hmm. that listened to it, like on the radio, they all said that Nixon won, but people that watched it, they all said Kennedy won because, you know, he's— uh, he was a he was a good speaker. He, he he looked like he was prepared and very comfortable. Whereas when they watched Nixon, he was sweaty.
0: He looked kind of nervous. He yeah, yeah he had nervous. like a one day growth or kind of a yeah. shadow on it's his face to and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah Nixon is one of the only people to be defeated in a run for president, to, only to come back uh, and and get elected later. But that's that's a good bit of history for you there at 20 years old to know about the uh <laughs> Kennedy-Nixon uh, debate, because that is really true. People that listened on the radio yeah. thought Nixon was the better uh, candidate, but people who mm-hmm. watched on TV, uh, they thought it was Kennedy going away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah,
1: because he was very confident in himself, unlike yep. Richard Nixon. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Yep.
1: And the two were, of course, close friends.
0: Yep. Yeah, well, you know, this is the thing. I mean, uh, uh, people like to talk about how divided the country is. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, uh, uh, the Democratic, rep, uh, the Republicans and Democrats, they, they work together to create the rules that mm-hmm. uh, create the system. So, mm-hmm. one of the things that is very that that you see all the time when there's a congressional hearing, uh, they have a five minute rule. Well, Democrats or Republicans made the five minute rule, which means the, mm-hmm. the person asking the witness questions has five minutes and the witness yep. knows that. And the guy asking questions knows that. So Corey Lewandowski, a few weeks back, he's there going, uh, uh, can you give me the volume number? Uh, can you give me the uh, chapter number? Can you give me the page number? And what's the paragraph number? And what line is that? And mm-hmm. that's four minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and But that system is put in place to guarantee that nothing happens. And in the Democratic uh, uh, primaries, you see the same thing. They're like, uh, solve global warming. You have 30 seconds. And, mm-hmm. and so these rules that are put in place are, are put in place by, uh, uh, so in the case of the Democratic primaries, it's the, it's the Democratic National Committee negotiating with CNN mm-hmm. to put rules in place that guarantee their candidates are not gonna make anything happen. So the, so the system is designed to always get the same non-result, to always work at peak inefficiency and mm-hmm. to never ever self-correct. So I'm running for president to be the correction. One way Americans can send a message that they're tired of this system that is incapable, that is designed not to self-correct, is mm-hmm. just cut the head off the snake. Just just have a president who is not affiliated with either one of these corrupt privately owned political parties. Yep. We hear We hear a lot about Trump's divided loyalty, well, mm-hmm. why is being affiliated with a political party not considered a divided loyalty? Mm-hmm. That's my question. Yep.
1: yep. And this reminds me, me uh, I've heard on both sides mention this, but like our political debate process is actually, uh, it's it's not very good for actually getting your own ideas out there for what your platform is. It's just like you have like two minutes total on yes. on stage, maybe five minutes yep. to get out what you want to say. Whereas right. if you want... If you're in like, so, a so everyone business.
0: tries to all, all these non comedians uh, they they try to come up with a zinger, right? And yep. then if you get a zinger, uh, you'll go up in the polls and people will send you some more money because mm-hmm. you got a zinger. But I'm not sure that picking presidents uh, based on a person who can come up with a zinger. Um, uh, you know, I, I look at I look at the the product that the democratic debates is producing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got to wonder about the personality type of anybody who is Mm -hmm. attracted to that process where where they put you in this box and they make it impossible for you to uh, communicate with people in a way that that you can really connect. Um, uh, That would just uh, suck my soul out. And and uh, uh, so so what I what I did when I decided I was going to run is I I. I deconstructed the entire process, because I wanted to be able to look people in the eye and say, okay, look, here's a lane for the people. You know, you don't need a third party, you need a third candidate. The people aren't red or blue, the people are purple. And mm-hmm. so what I'm going to do is take a year to win the nation, and I'll be certified as a candidate in all 50 states, you can vote for me on election day. Uh, the Democratic uh, Party is going to have 10 weeks to win the nation, and Trump's been running for three years, and that's going to be very tough for them. And and I think early next year, when it becomes obvious who the Democratic nominee is going to be, and they realize that person has no chance against Trump, uh, it's going to be a really. My stock will go up then. Let's just say that, you know. Yep.
1: Um, so uh, once you get into into office, or even like during the campaign, are there are there any uh, proposed changes that you'd like to make like, as president?
0: Well, you know, I, I was asked in an interview earlier, it was a really good question. Uh, if as president, a genie appeared in the room and I could make one wish, what would it be? And my my answer was, I would, I would have the genie make all Americans uh, stop judging each other by the color of our skin and start judging each other by the color of our, our eyes. Because I think that would make about as much sense. But the thing is, if you're judging someone by the color of their eyes, that means you're at least close enough to them to see the color of their eyes, mm-hmm. and you're probably going to be a lot less judgmental. Um, so, so I want to use the office of the presidency to shine the light in places where it's not being shined in a way that I think Barack Obama could have done but didn't. Um, so I like the idea of getting on Air Force One and going to the hot spots, you know, where where uh, you know some 13-year-old black kid has been shot in the back. And he's unarmed, and he's running away from the cop, mm-hmm. and, and to say, you know, and to hold up the the Fourteenth Amendment and say, uh, you know what, this country we're about individual rights uh, for all citizens. It doesn't matter. You're just the the Fourteenth Amendment sees only citizens, and mm-hmm. this dead thirteen-year-old citizen here matters. In fact, yeah. this kid matters more than anybody right now, and mm-hmm. and that's the kind of conversations that. Uh, the office of the president can be used to uh, to amplify, so that so that we understand that the whole purpose of having a government in the first place is to secure and guarantee our individual rights equally for all citizens. That's really the job. And when you hear the 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 Democratic uh, 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 debates, uh, well, tell us what your plan is for health care. Well, the correct question is. If Congress makes a new law on health care or health insurance, would you sign it or would you veto it? Because presidents don't make the law.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So, are, is there any ah uh, policy issues that you'd like to bring up? Like ah, uh, particularly foreign policy is what I was wondering. So.
0: Yes. Um. Uh, uh. I am a big fan of democracy when it comes to war powers. Um, mm-hmm. I was the only citizen to sue Barack Obama. Uh, pri- uh, the only the only uh, citizen to independently sue Barack Obama. He was also sued by a, a, a group of two Republican congressmen and two Democrats, when he decided all on his own to start uh, dropping bombs on the nation of Libya without authorization from Congress. Mm-hmm. That that uh, the participation of U.S. armed forces in that conflict uh, went on for. Uh, Nine months, it was 7,000 missiles delivered from American flying robots on helpless targets on the ground in Libya without authority, without getting a permission slip from Congress. Uh, So, uh, (laughs) you know, there were tens of thousands of of the the, the Libyan people were not they were not they were uh, Libya was not at war with the United States. There was a civil war going on. So this Mm -hmm. is literally just a case of a president dropping bombs in the Mm -hmm. great tradition of presidents uh, acting out based on their own individual decisions worldwide. So as president, uh, I guarantee you that I will not deploy U.S. troops or or, or activate the U.S. Armed Forces in in a way that denigrates the the constitution that they swear to defend and uphold. Uh, Mm uh, the only time a president is allowed to unilaterally deploy U.S. armed forces is in the face of an imminent threat, uh, like an imminent threat to the physical nation. There is no uh, universe under domestic law or international law where presidents are free to act unilaterally. And then in response to that, a lot of people go, oh, oh, what if they invited us in? Uh, uh, like with Syria, there's been a lot of discussion about Trump wanting to withdraw troops from, troops from Syria and uh, and and there's this been this narrative since 9/11 uh, that nations invite us in. Well, mm-hmm. you know, let me let me ask this question, right? If if I'm if I'm the president, and I decide to invite uh, Syria jet fighters to the United States to kill you, mm-hmm. th- does that strike you as something I'm authorized to do? Yeah, I'm not. Right. I'm not. And <laughs> and neither neither are the leader leaders of Syria. They can't invite the United States in to kill their people. So uh, these are all violations of international war. And as president, I'm just going to follow the law. Super simple.
1: Okay. Um. So one question I ha- actually want to yeah one question I ha- have is um are there any current candidates that you find as uh uh that you like more than others for example yes. Like-
0: Um, As president, I would love to have Tulsi Gabbard be the Secretary of Defense because she's the only Democrat running who has uh, uh, said basically the same thing I've said with regard to uh, Mm -hmm. being pro-democracy on matters of war. So she's great, and she was a veteran, and she's been there, and she understands, and she gets it, and she's been ostracized by the Democrat establishment for having that point of view. So I love Tulsi Gabbard Mm -hmm. for Secretary of Defense. I mm-hmm. like Andrew Yang as a senior mm-hmm. economic advisor. I don't look at Andrew Yang and, and see a president, but I do, I do see a guy who uh, is able to process a large amounts of information in a very short amount of time and spit back a uh, result that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Bernie Sanders' integrity. I'm from Vermont. My wife and I voted for Bernie Sanders in his first uh, run for mayor in Vermont when he won for t- by ten votes. Yep. Uh, so I'm very familiar with Bernie. I can just tell you that Bernie has been saying the same thing for 40 years or something like that. Yep. He's never changed. It's basically the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poor, and 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 nobody nobody has anything on Bernie, right? And if integrity is what people were were looking for and and nothing else. Well, Bernie Sanders would, would just like stroll right into the Oval Office. But integrity, as it turns out, is not dispositive. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else is uh, is up there who, uh, who has impressed. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you something I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of this Pete Buttigieg guy. When I listen to him talk, uh, he sounds exactly like a product, uh, the same product of Harvard that spit out Obama and Bush when it comes to... Uh, putting institutions ahead of individuals, so mm-hmm. so you know, Buttigieg is going to come down always on the side of uh, institutional authority, whereas I'm always going to fall in in the case of a conflict between an institution and and an individual. My point of view is always going to be in favor of individual autonomy.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like I like Andrew Yang. Um, I'm not sure how. How I'm not sure if he's quite presidential material. Like he's maybe he doesn't have quite the spark that you need for president. He's, right. just, he's just a he's a super smart guy. He that, is smart. like that knows his stuff and
0: yeah. All that. The stuff. Democrats are running like, a lot of valedictorians, not a lot of presidents. Yeah. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, you know I've listened to Andrew talk and things like that, and and they they spend a lot of time putting stuff through. Uh, the think tanks in Silicon Valley, and they come out with a lot of interesting uh, uh, policies and ideas. But you know, uh, both of my sons uh, well, my, my youngest son is autistic, and mm-hmm. um, uh, he uh, was a, a self made millionaire by the time he was 30, he, as an Amazon reseller. He was in the top 500 out of 2 million, and he grew this business out of his bedroom. He didn't borrow any sure. money. And uh, so, so he's got a brain sort of like Andrew Yang's. He's able to yeah. compute like fifteen hundred things at the same wow. time. Mm-hmm. But if, if but you have to have a six hour conversation with him to explain why it's not a bad idea to hold the door for a girl. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, the reason I brought up Chris is I have a question for you because you're you're twenty something, mm-hmm. and so so with Chris in mind, Chris started his first little business. When he was 14, and it was walking pets, and then he started washing cars in the neighborhood. And uh, and when he was very young, in a fourth grade or fifth grade, he started doing retail arbitrage with Beanie Babies when they were very popular. He would run to the store and get the new ones, and then he would resell them to people that women that worked in the office with my wife for a hundred percent profit. So he's always kind of been this little mercenary entrepreneur. And when I hear Andrew Yang, talking about his idea of just giving everybody a thousand dollars a month. I Mm -hmm. wonder, this is what I wonder. And also my oldest son uh, worked full time starting at 16. He worked 40 hours a week at AMC theaters during the whole time he was in high school, graduated like fourth in his class out of 450 kids. Then Mm -hmm. did UCSD in three years, also while working full time. So my question is, if you are 13 or 14 or 15 years old, And your parents are going, you know, maybe you ought to get a part-time job so you can understand how the world works. Mm -hmm. And you're going, well, what do I need to work for when I'm 18? I got this thousand dollars a month coming in Mm -hmm. and I can get together with four of my friends. And we can move to Dayton where you can get a 3000 square foot house for $1,500 a month. And we can all just live there and uh, play video games the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I wonder. I wonder what kind of disincentive that provides, and then I am also concerned about institutionalizing that idea, because if you institutionalize that idea, four years later in the presidential debates, they'll be arguing about whether it should go from one thousand to two thousand or whether it should stay the same. That'll be the debate. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good uh, point against universal basic income. Yeah. Um, I guess in Andrew Yang's uh, opinion it would be that it's not supposed to be like enough, like obviously $1,000 a month it's not enough to give you like a super comfortable amount of money mm-hmm. uh, to completely cover everything. It's supposed right. to be like a supplement and then you use that because I don't know, I would say it is preferable to like our current welfare state where instead of it, where it incentivizes you to uh, not uh, get a m- more high paying job.
0: Like right. for example,
1: like currently like uh, it, if you're on a you're getting welfare so that you're in cheaper housing. Suddenly, mm-hmm. you get a job and you can't be in that housing anymore. So then, your incentive mm-hmm. is not to get the job. Right. Whereas universal second income, it's like you get it whether you have the job or not. So you might as well get the job, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it it's very point. it's very thought provoking, and um, yeah. I'm, I'm concerned about this idea of 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 institutionalizing the thought process that says. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, that says there's a large group of people in the United States that we've just given up on because mm-hmm. tech is going to take over our lives. And so here's $1,000 a month, because that's mm-hmm. what I think. at a macro level, that's what I think it says. And I think that uh, one of the things that would make me a great president is that I am someone who in my life has been able to find great opportunity in the narrowest of circumstances. So in mm-hmm. my 20s, um, I got in big trouble when I was, uh, I built, I had the franchise rights for Ben and Jerry's all over New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and I got involved with a really rogue bank, and they were predatory lenders, and I was predatory borrower, and mm-hmm. uh, and we all ended up in federal prison for a little while, and uh, okay. uh, so, and but then when I went there, when I went to prison as a high school graduate, I was a terrible student, I put my nose down and I mastered the federal criminal law, and I got a court order from Judge Stephen Breyer, who's now on the Supreme Court, immediately mm-hmm. releasing me from prison, sort of like the guy in the Shawshank Redemption, except I mm-hmm. didn't have to swim through the sewer. They actually mm-hmm. just let me out the front door. So, if we just create a box that says, there's gonna be 10 people that have all the money, and there's gonna be $1,000 a month over here for the rest of the people, here. if we create that box, then then, from from my way of thinking, uh, my life experience at least, it 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 has the potential to kill a lot of creativity and to make inevitable mm-hmm. what uh, what the you know when I run for president, I'm really running to be like the fifth or sixth most powerful person in the world. The mm-hmm. most powerful are Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Jack Dorsey who runs Twitter, uh, Tim mm-hmm. Cook who runs Apple, and and the people who run Google and YouTube. They have the power. They mm-hmm. have the power. to to disconnect you and me from the internet. In other words, they have the power to do to us as private sector organizations what we the people refuse to allow our government to do. So I have listened to Mark Zuckerberg the other day give a First Amendment speech at Georgetown, which is great uh, that he is in favor of free speech, but we don't have a mechanism to hold him accountable. So one of the things I wanna do as president is make sure we have a mechanism to impose an injunction on these tent companies, the way we imposed an injunction on the government when we wrote the First Amendment that says, you cannot censor us. Speech when using a computer is the same free speech when you're not using a computer. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where this idea came from, that when you're using a computer, free speech is somehow different. Mm-hmm. Where did that yep. come from?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess it goes back to the fact that, when co- that. a Technically, you don't own your own data, and so it's believed that they can just do whatever they want.
0: That's actually so it. the, the, not, the, license the the agreement. The contract, the contract yeah. that you sign with these people definitely yeah. says that. Yeah. And and perfect. as president, I would work. I I would I would try my best to get Congress to pass a law to make contracts like that illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to the to the extent that they can be used to censor the voice of American citizens in the way that government can't. Because So I think we need a digital constitution to secure the rights that we secure. So this is the original operating system, okay? Mm. The original operating system was created with a feather and a dip pen. But the new operating system is this, it's a screen. Yeah. This is how we communicate. So, so the concern of people in the establishment, political parties in the establishment media, the reason they support this censorship is because we compete with them. Every hour somebody spends listening to you and me talk on the internet is an mm-hmm. hour they're not spending listening to Democrat, Republican politicians or watching MSNBC mm-hmm. or Fox News. And mm-hmm. so these forces can combine to, uh, to say, you know what, you have free speech, you have all the free speech you want uh, uh, and you can, you can say anything you want, but, but then we have a switch over here to decide who gets to be heard. And mm-hmm. so well yep. that's very disingenuous because mm-hmm. because there's already proposed legislation sitting in Washington that would that would propose to define who is and who is not a journalist. They actually want to define that. Mm-hmm. And 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 I will just uh, uh and I will I will represent to you that that you and I would not be considered a journalist, okay? That it would be it will be the New York Times and the Washington Post and the trusted media outlets that will be defined as journalists, and then the rest of us, you know, will be defined however they decide to define us. So mm-hmm. we are literally at a, you know, to to be ironic, a defining moment in American history, uh, where where the, the Congress is talking about breaking these companies up, mm-hmm. uh, but along the way, in the fine print, they're gonna they're gonna do things like define who is and who is not a journalist because these organizations, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, these two privately owned organizations are being disrupted by the citizens. They're fractured, they're, they're, they're getting competition, and they've only succeeded in getting 25% of the eligible voters to mm-hmm. register with these two parties. 75% of the eligible voters, 75% of us have rejected these parties, but they have 99% of the offices. That's how great they have been at controlling the outcome and encouraging people not to vote.
1: yep, yeah. okay, so I wanted to go back to something you said a couple minutes ago here, and mm-hmm. it was I can't, I can't remember who said this quote, I think it was Peter Thiel on Eric Weinstein's podcast, right? But he was saying, um, when you become president, uh, you're becoming the president of the United States, but the dictator of the world, which which made me think because because in the in the in, on a global scale, uh, you have this power to go in there and influence smaller countries, and we're one of the global superpowers, of course. But of course, within the United States, you have all these checks and balances between, you know, uh, Congress, the president, and
0: Supreme Court. So, do you have any thoughts on that? Or? We we do, in theory, have those things. So the reason the reason presidents, uh, recent presidents, have have metaphorically been able to uh, dictate. Uh, to the world is because the United States is not a member of the treaties that make war criminals out of other leaders who do the same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So the United States has been powerful enough to to impose obligations on the leaders of smaller com- countries that are not imposed on our own people. So So that's why Obama can just sit there and decide to drop bombs on Libya and no, he's never going to be prosecuted for a war crime yep. because the United States is not a co-signer uh, to the Rome Statute that that makes those things war crimes when uh, U.S. nationals and U.S. officials do them. So, mm-hmm. th- so the way to uh, the way to just get rid of the potential of that is for the United States to agree to be as accountable as we expect the leaders of other nations to be. I am all about accountability uh, because of Mm -hmm. what I went through in my twenties. I want to be held accountable uh, to this Mm -hmm. document and I want to be held accountable to international treaties. And it's the job of the people because all authority comes from the people. It is the job of the people to hold our elected officials accountable. I did a podcast the other day and I made the point And 100% of our nation is secured by 1% of the people. So if you want to support the troops, ask questions of your president, ask questions of your congressmen and your senators, question everything they do, because the troops who we claim to care so much about, their job is to not ask questions. Their job is to take orders. So they can't ask questions. It's on us to do that. And when we don't do that, we disrespect the same troops that we claim to venerate.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I know I noticed that one of the things that uh you were, that you wanted to talk about was uh, the mass incarceration industrial complex. So I was just wondering, what's your take on that? Well,
0: the uh, the United States sentencing guidelines system was uh, created uh, by was co-sponsored by four senators: uh, Jesse Helms and Strom Thurmond. Who are, are just, uh, you know, vilified uh, in terms of their extreme far right wing conservatism mm-hmm. by the mainstream media. Uh, but the the other two co-sponsors uh, were Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden. So mm-hmm. these four people got together and created the United States sentencing guidelines, which led to this enormous increase in the number of prisoners and the amount of time prisoners are serving in federal prisons. And then the, and then so. And then so the federal government wouldn't look like an outlier in terms of the draconian sentences that were being meted out. The federal government spread, spread a lot of money around in the states and gave the state legislators incredible incentives to adopt similar guideline systems that had similar outcomes. And in exchange for that, you'd get a lot of new police cars and maybe some little tanks or some guns and stuff like that. So, uh, so, so it just became normalized that if you get caught up in the federal system, everybody gets a lot of time, there's no parole, you get long periods of supervised release, you can be violated, sent to prison, more supervised release, re-violated, and this disproportionately, as these things do, disproportionately landed on the heads of young black men in their 20s. And so, look, as president, I I am against zero tolerance of all kinds because One of the messages that I have for people that are, say, 35 and under is this document right here, especially the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment that defines who is a citizen, the reason anybody can marry anybody in the United States is because of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment doesn't see gay citizens or straight citizens, Mm -hmm. it just sees citizens. So when two guys come along and say, we're in love, we want to get married, it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And that principle is so rock solid, so unambiguous as to what the definition of citizen is, that even a Supreme Court stacked with six practicing Catholics could not find a way around it. And that's why anybody can marry anybody in the United States. It wasn't politicians who did it. It wasn't political parties. It was just two guys who were in love and wanted to get married. Um, so the First Amendment, which which uh, uh, imposes an injunction on our government and, and forbids our government to make laws that control speech, there's this huge narrative about hate speech, but hate speech is authorized by the First Amendment. Hate speech, if you want to just stipulate to that as a thing, hate speech is what we use to hold our government accountable. Hate speech is what we use to get to the right answers. It's what we use to fuel debate. So so d- this idea of having a committee of people that d- that defines what is and is not hate, well, there, our First Amendment stands for the proposition that we need to tolerate all the speech we disagree with as a way, as as a way of getting to the right answer, because as Barack Obama said, and as I often quote, he used to quote Justice Brandeis, who said, mm-hmm. the highest office in the land is the office of citizen. And that's just yes. a fancy way of saying all power comes from the people. When when the when the white slave owners who wanted to be free, when the people who were in the United States at that time, Voted on this, it was the largest. Uh, it was the largest democratic act in world history. And now, a billion of the world's people live in constitutional republics. Mm-hmm. And 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 just like any other corporation, the bylaws had uh, had a, a, a mechanism within them for to be amended. And they've been amended 27 times. And and the best amendments, of course, the 14th Amendment, which says who is in the club, and yeah. then the amendment that says women get to vote and the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote will be next August 20th of 2020. And by my way of thinking, the day after that, we start America's second century, because I don't think you can say you have a country unless everybody can vote. So August 20th, 1920 is when everybody had the right to vote and to my way of thinking, that was the first day of the United States. That's when you can say, okay, now we've got something. Let's build on that.
1: Okay, I like I like that. Where uh, where the Nineteenth Amendment is when we decide that that we really had a country and everyone can, had a say.
0: Yes, That's it, it took fifty years after Black people got the right to vote for women to get the right to. Vote. <laughs> yeah. Black yeah. men voted for were able to vote for fifty years before women. hmm Yeah. Yeah, as a constitutional right in some states. Yeah. You know, women could always vote, and and black men could always vote, but as a, as a as a national federal, as a federalist approach, you know, it took, it took a dan- it took what almost 150 years, mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah, Pretty and hard. of course, and of course, since they even though they had the right to vote, a lot of them were intimidated to not vote by like the Ku Klux Klan and those groups, who right. tried to scare them away from that.
0: Mhm. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. Yeah, so I also want to get into uh, civil liberties and the political industrial complex, which I wanted to talk?
0: <laughs> yeah, so there's a great uh, there was a great study done a year or two ago out of Harvard, um, and it was not done by the political science department. It was done by Harvard Business School, mm-hmm. and they took a business approach, uh, uh, sort of the approach an MBA would take in studying our political system, from a. Uh, uh, from in the same way that you would if you were thinking of entering a new market with a new product or a new service, and and what they found was that the the political system uh, that is controlled by the two political parties mm-hmm. is holding everything back. It's mm-hmm. holding everything back. The people are there. The people are ready to go. The people are ready to do great things. They mm-hmm. see great opportunities, but that opportunity is squashed. By this duopoly. These two privately held corporations mm-hmm. are just have, have they're they're able to control outcomes in a way that serves only them. And so they they just basically identified this huge system problem, big system problem. And, and they make the point that the system is designed to not self correct. And mm-hmm. so, and the only way it is going to self correct is for some outside force to come along with a brick bat. That's me. That's me. That's what I represent here. I represent a correction and a course correction away from uh, resolving questions in favor of institutions and resolving questions in favor of people who are in charge. I mean, we are literally responsible for this. So so by running for president, I am providing an example of what it looks like when you're trying to raise the quality of civic life in the United States, mm-hmm. so there's there's seven, I, there's an enormous market for somebody like me to be president. seventy five percent of the people are not registered with these two big parties. It means they, they don't they're not emotionally connected to these two organizations enough to just fill out a voter card and make a choice. Their choice, they've made the choice to not do that. and so so I'm, I'm talking to that 75%. I'm talking to the 50% of the people in the last election who didn't vote and mm-hmm. the 25% who are registered as independents and say, you know, how much longer? You know, uh, four years from now, they're still going to be debating health care. They're still going to yeah. be answering questions about how they feel about Roe versus Wade. They're going to be doing the same shit they always do. And mm-hmm. people are going to still be sitting there waiting for a zinger. So if if you are going to continue as a citizen, to support such a horrible product, then you know what, at some level, you deserve what you get. And that's a terrible thing to say, mm-hmm. but it is not the fault of these candidates. These candidates are operating within a system that does not allow them to be themselves. Ultimately, it all comes down to us, right? If we want accountability from, from the, the political system, we need to be accountable to ourselves and, do something that that really is different from what's been done in the past. And that is the opportunity I'm trying to offer people. I'm trying to offer people, you know, I think about Steve Jobs. Steve Mm -hmm. Jobs knew we all wanted an iPhone, right? We didn't know we wanted it. So so, Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping to be the iPhone. Once (laughs) I'm polling at 15%, they got to put me on that stage with, with the Democratic and Republican tributes and mm-hmm. at that point anything can happen was it was it a, was it wasn't it in your state that Jesse Ventura became governor yep yep okay so he was polling at 10% mm-hmm. when he got on the debate stage with the Democrat and Republican and then he became governor so so maybe I'm the iPhone maybe I'm Jesse Ventura but I have the talent and the knowledge to go up on that stage and and make some very good points in a very succinct way, and to wake people the fuck up, mm-hmm. and 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 then maybe people will say, okay, this is this this other product is is just horrible, and it's time to. It's, uh, my first job out of high school was selling vacuum cleaners, so maybe mm-hmm. it's time to kill the old machine and go with the new machine that'll get all sure. the dirt, Chris.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see you as uh as getting on that debate stage and even getting into the White House.
0: (laughs) You know what? I'll tell you something. Just just getting onto that debate stage would would send such a message to the Mm -hmm. Republican and Democrat establishment as to the extent to which the people are fed up. That that alone would be a wake-up call to them to start paying more attention to the people. I often say that if Democrats didn't have Republicans to talk about and Republicans didn't have Democrats to talk about, what would they talk about? Right, so I think they would talk more about "We the People." If you mm-hmm. think about it. What would Sean Hannity talk about if he didn't have Democrats, and what would Rachel Maddow talk about if she didn't have Republicans? Mm-hmm. They would ha- they would have no content. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. why not just why not just take those two talking points away? You take those two po- talking points away, and and those two horrible voices go away, and and we can just start treating each other better. Being tolerant, the way uh, the way the First Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment uh, uh, asks us to be, and and yeah. stop engaging in this nonsense. It's just crazy the way uh, people are treating each other and talk about about each other, and, and the way Trump uh, encourages that. You know, it's just it's just uh, the way the way Trump talks. You know, when Trump calls Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, mm-hmm. Okay, I've been a political satirist for. 15 years, so I'll stipulate that that is satire, but at the same time, he's the president, and Mm -hmm. he knows that when he does that, he is stirring the fever of people who really do hate Native Americans, Mm -hmm. and really do hate people that have skin that doesn't match their color. He mm-hmm. knows that he's doing that. He knows he benefits from it. And that that right there is an impeachable offense because mm-hmm. he swore to uphold the 14th Amendment and he shits on the 14th Amendment when he does that. So we don't need to have these flim-flam impeachments. If the Republicans and Democrats really believed in, in the individual rights as the 14th Amendment dictates, they would have impeached Trump for that shit already and they wouldn't mm-hmm. be going through this bullshit they're going through now.
1: mm yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, one thing I wanted to to ask was, you know, I actually have someone that I told him about. uh, The people aren't red or blue; they're purple, and they weren't they weren't exactly sure what that meant. So could you just explain that for anybody that? Sure. Uh,
0: There's a there's a a political scientist I think out of Ohio State University, or I can't I can't remember, but uh, I think he may be autistic like my son as well. Uh, But he, uh, you know, we are all um, we are all programmed to believe that our nation is divided into red states and blue states. And it's true, if you're looking at the world uh, under an institutional authority umbrella, which in this case, the institution being the electoral college, that is in fact how the nation is divided. But if you're looking at the nation more from the point of view of a citizen, the United States has 175,000 voting precincts, right? My voting precinct is a guy's garage across the canyon where I live in San Diego. So this political scientist at this university, he 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 crunched the data on 175,000 voting precincts, and he threw that data up on the map. And when you do that, the map turns purple, mm-hmm. because yeah. uh, the people are purple. Your Thanksgiving dinner table is purple. Your family is purple. Mm-hmm. Um, our families do not break down in red and blue. Our workplaces are not red and blue. Where you go to college, there in in Minneapolis is not red and blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most blue state in the country, my home state of Vermont, always the first state to turn blue, 35% mm-hmm. of the people there vote for Republicans. So yep. it's, 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 it's a shade of purple. And so that's what I'm saying, the people are purple. And uh, uh, and if I get to the point where I'm polling at 15%, it's gonna be because I'm polling people who have always polled, voted Democrat, some people have always voted Republican, and then a bunch of people from that 75% were not aligned with those parties. It's mm-hmm. going to be a purple coalition. It's a purple tie. It's a purple podium. It's a purple logo. The people are fucking purple.
1: Yeah, I think one important thing to remember is that even people that are staunch Republicans or Democrats, uh, they're not going to be all red or all blue on on right. j- just like across the board. They're going to be. A person that's yeah. made, let's, let's say someone that's mainly Republican, they're gonna be red on a lot of the issues, but they're also gonna be blue on a couple others. Right. That, uh, yeah, that, and they, I think when you look yeah, at the thirty
0: five and the, you look at the thirty-five and under demographic, mm-hmm. which is which is which right now I, I see as sort of the, the low-hanging fruit for my candidacy, sort of the Joe Rogan crowd, mm-hmm. is yeah. is is that that group is really purple. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not gonna find you don't have you don't have a lot of Fox News watchers in that group. Right. For a lot yeah, of MSNBC uh-huh. watchers, they're getting you, you all are getting my, my son's 35 is not known a day on earth without a comp- personal computer in the house. So mm-hmm. so, you know, so much more. You're so much better informed. And mm-hmm. your bullshit meter is like so highly registered. Uh, yep. that that you know it's got to be so hard for you even to have a conversation with most people my age mm-hmm. who are just mm-hmm. who just go home so many so many people my age plunk down at night and and mm-hmm. they watch msnbc and they watch fox and that's their bubble and and that yep. that bubble has nothing to do with people 35 and under nothing
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i heard you mention rogan i, I love joe rogan yeah he's Yeah, he's he's pretty moderate. He's great great to listen to, whether you're right or left. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I agree. Yeah, and then he had an interesting uh, podcast that came out a couple days ago where he talked to Edward Snowden, which was interesting.
0: Yeah, Edward uh, is, uh, if I am elected president on the first day I'm in office, I'll pardon Edward Snowden Mm -hmm. Snowden and offer him the position of director of national intelligence. (laughs) I'm on the record of saying that before this. Um, I've done a lot of public speaking about Edward Snowden, mm-hmm. and uh, he is a hero. And what makes mm-hmm. him a hero is that when you take a position like Edward Snowden had, uh, mm-hmm. this is true of all people in national security, uh, there's a built-in divided loyalty. So so on the one hand, uh, you raise your hand, you go, I promise to preserve, protect, and uphold the Constitution, right? And then after you do that, they have you sign a form, I think it's form 302 or something, and that form says... Uh, uh, not these exact words, but what, it, what you boil all the fine print down to, it says, uh, oh, by the way, if you do get, if you do uphold the constitution, uh, we're gonna throw you in prison. <laughs> and and uh, so what Edward Snowden did was he re, he was the only person within the security and surveillance state to resolve that conflict between spending the rest of his life in prison and the constitution he swore to preserve, protect, and defend, he was the mm-hmm. only one who resolved that conflict in favor of the people, and ratted out the security state, ratted them out for violating the Fourth Amendment of all Americans, yep. right and And then he now has to, you know live overseas to avoid he he committed what's called a strict liability crime, mm-hmm. which means you cannot present a defense. The government, the prosecutor gets up for the Department of Justice. He goes, the guy took shit, and he uh, he took stuff out of the office. He's not meant to do that. Now he has to go to jail. That's the whole case. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Edward Snowden is not allowed to say uh, why he did it, uh, why the Constitution required him to do it because he took an oath. He's not allowed to put that defense on it. And he said many times that if the government would allow him to put on that defense, then he would happily come back here and stand trial because he knows he's gonna get acquitted.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all he did was tell the truth.
0: Yep, and he had that's all he did, it. that's all he did. No one has ever found that he, uh, that he told, in fact, uh, federal law has changed because of him. Uh, judicial opinions have been written in his favor, uh, particularly a long, amazing opinion written by a Bush appointee out of the uh, U.S. District Court in D.C. Uh, saying, yeah, these people totally violated the Fourth Amendment. It went on for like 100 pages. And the judge just took his pen out. And, and that decision uh, does not have the prominence that it should have, because on appeal it was uh, overruled for other reasons. But the facts that that judge documented in his opinion are irrefuted by the government.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And and the the key that he said in there was the government has presented no evidence, no evidence uh, to support their argument that they didn't uh, uh, violate the Fourth Amendment.
1: Mhm. All right. So so I think that's about it. That's about all I had planned for the for the episode. Um okay. I wish you the best of luck in your campaign. Um, maybe if you get into the White House, we should do another episode. When
0: yeah, I think that uh, you know I the, think we ought to White do House. another episode before that because I think between now and that time there are going to be uh, there are going to be uh, uh, three three or four critical events. One of the events is is going to be uh, probably by March mm-hmm. we're going to know who the Democrats nominate to lose to Trump, yep. and then there are going to be a couple of conventions next summer. And then there's gonna be about a 10-week period where the Democratic nominee has an opportunity to win the nation. So it may be, you know, maybe we ought to talk again around April or May when we live in this in this new reality
1: mm-hmm. where
0: it's maybe it's Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump or mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg and Donald Trump and then Mark Whitney over there going, you guys are looking at 1,500 more days of Trump unless you change the way you do things, so. yeah, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they want. So perhaps we'll talk again under those circumstances. You know.
1: Yeah, if they if they really want to change
0: things, they got to they got to choose a new candidate that can actually beat Trump. Yeah, you have to. the The people the people have to decide that we the people have to decide that we're more important than the institutions who have taken over our lives. Mm -hmm. And that that is the two political parties as well as these tech companies that are providing you know some great opportunities for individuals but also threaten uh uh, thing uh uh, civil liberties that have been in place for a couple hundred years and have served us very well especially as entrepreneurs and artists What was the last thing you said okay man thanks a lot you have a good day i look forward to listening to the uh result okay Okay. all right take care man bye bye yep goodbye